you've just tuned in, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. My guests today are Father Jim Abbott, retired Episcopal priest from St. Matthias Episcopal Church in Asheville, North Carolina, Tyrone Greenley, who is the Executive Director of Christians for a United Community, and Jim McCoy, retired pastor of First Baptist Church in Weaverville and presently chaplain at the Craggy Prison in Asheville, North Carolina. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said on a number of occasions that the most segregated hour in a Christian America is on 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And he thought that that was appalling, that Christianity by its nature should be united. Since then, progress has been made but not a lot. For a number of years now, these men have been involved in issues of racial reconciliation and attempting to bring about greater unity within the Christian community. And so we're going to give them an opportunity to talk about what they've been doing, particularly in light of our present context. Even though progress has been made, hate lives on in our culture. And there are periods of resurgence. And we're living in one presently. For whatever reason, because of the election of President Trump, many hate groups have been emboldened to be more vocal and to be more active. And we find ourselves in a context where we're having to say that black lives matter. And so we want to talk about that today and let these men give us some understanding and provide from their experience uh, what we can do and how we can move forward. So let's let them each begin by telling you a little bit about themselves, telling a little bit about their own Christian journey, especially that has led them to be so involved uh, in this issue of racial reconciliation. So let's begin with you, Father Jim, since you are the uh, senior member of this okay. group. Well, thank you, David. And let me just begin by thanking you for inviting us to to come here to the studio to, to uh, share our thoughts and some of our experiences around these issues that you've just mentioned. Uh, and before I get into the specifics, let me say that uh, I do not feel like I'm in any sense of the word an expert in this area, even though I've been working in this area of racial healing and justice and reconciliation for a number of years, I find out that the, the uh, more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And so I, I'm not coming as an expert, but as I'm willing to share my own experience. I, I was, uh, you've referenced my seniority. Um, so it's pretty clear that I grew up in a segregated world all the way through college. Uh, but toward the end of my high school years and in college, the civil rights movement was unfolding around me. But I never really got that directly involved until I went off to seminary, which was right outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, started getting involved there. 
uh, and had some moving experiences. And so all of my ordained ministry, I've been involved in some way or another with with issues of racial healing and, and reconciliation, uh, increasingly racial justice. Uh, but at the end of um, 1997, after I, I had been serving a church in um, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, had a very happy ministry there for like 15 years, but I got to the point where I felt like I'd done what I could do and one of the things that we had done there while I was at, at St. Martin's in the Fields in Columbia was to develop a paired relationship with an AME church. And that was a very nourishing and exciting experience for me, but because I was the CEO of a fairly large church, I wasn't able to give it the attention that I wanted to. So when uh, my church's pension fund gave us the option of early retirement, one of the reasons for which was to free up some experienced clergy to serve the church in some other ways. I took advantage of that. And so in 1998, uh, my wife and I took a year of off to discern and uh, where I decided that I needed to, to go was to serve in some place where there was uh, a, a greater contact with people on the on the ground floor and the grassroots. And so um, we moved to Asheville, partly because my parents uh, were living in this area and were getting uh, older, and my mother got sick and died that year of discernment, so it was pretty clear we needed to move to Asheville. So without a job, we moved to Asheville, and the only thing I said to the realtor is that um, we'd like to live in an integrated neighborhood. So we found a, a house in the neighborhood of St. Matthias, the historically African-American Episcopal Church in Asheville. We started attending there as parishioners. Um, they were being well served on Sundays, but only on Sundays by a supply minister. So after a few months, uh, the congregation asked if I would be their rector, and I humbly and gratefully accepted and so that began my involvement with the whole situation, the whole racial situation in Asheville, which we can get to later. But that's the basis of how I got where I am and how I got started in a more intentional and deep way in, in doing this work. Thank you. Tyrone. Yes. Well, well, my story in terms of Racial reconciliation work starts in 1993 when I did a, um, an eight-week course called Building Bridges. Building Bridges of Asheville is an um, eight-week discussion series around the issue of racism, a small group discussion series where um, groups are brought together um, across racial lines, across um, um, all those things that separate us, and we have conversation around race and racism and institutional racism and uh, racism in education and racism and, um, in the medical field, all those sorts of things. And so the very first one of those was held back in 1993 at the church where I was on staff at the time, New Mount Olive Missionary Baptist Church. And I have to tell you, honestly, I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in, in having a conversation about racial reconciliation. I had, I had just kind of um, I believe that we had 
dealt with all those things back in the 60s and 70s, and we didn't need to still be talking about it. Mm -hmm. But to be completely honest with you, um, I was a staff person. I was the only person there, and I needed to stay and lock the building up. And so I put myself in a small group. And honestly, <laughs> that that first small group experience that went on for eight weeks opened my eyes and changed my life in so many ways. I came to understand all the ways that we are all scarred by racism, all the ways that we are all damaged by racism, black and white, and all the things that I had never admitted to another human or to myself around racism and the things that I had internalized um, about um, racial issues and the way I saw myself. And so I went from there and was part of the, uh, the Building Bridges um, board and was a small group leader for a very long time. And then in 2005, I got the call to become part of Christians for United Community. And, and my, my gratitude in that area extends to the fact that while I had done this work for many years, um, I had never connected my spirituality with this work of addressing racial um, equity in the world. And, and somehow or other, I did all that work separately, you know. And coming to Christians for United Community, I came to understand how, how important it is for all of us to allow ourselves to be fueled by our spirituality while we do this work. Mm. And I also came to understand um, the identity piece of racism in terms of the ways that I had been, I had internalized racism, I had internalized the kinds of oppression that I had heard over the years, and that I was acting out of that oppression in a way that I was completely oblivious to. And so I, I now it's not just that I do this work, I feel so much and believe so much that I'm called to do the work of racial reconciliation, that it's not just a good idea or, or a way for me to pass my time, but I really believe that God calls me to this work. And I think really he calls all of us as people of faith into this work of racial reconciliation. Jim McCoy. Well, again, David, thank you for the opportunity of having us here. Um, I want to jump in midstream, and, and the work of reconciliation is uh, primarily the work of friendship. And so it's my friendship with the two that have just spoken so eloquently that... Um, helps fuel and shape and form, and those kinds of relationships are hugely important. And, and I am uh, grateful to the good Lord that uh, they have been a part of my life since we moved to Asheville a little over 20 years ago. I'm very close to Father Jim in age, so I grew up in the segregated uh, water fountains, bathrooms, movie theaters, uh, my high school was not graduated, uh, was not integrated until about three years before I graduated. So um, that was a part of my growing up. And it was during the college years, during seminary years, uh, where I became much more aware um, of the issues involved. Um, friendships began at that point. Uh, seminary was followed by campus ministry. So I was in student ministry for about 15 years and then became pastor of a little church in Tobaccofield Church in Roxborough and uh, at the age of 40, first, first time pastor it, and a lot of face-to-face -face kind of racial um, issues and, and deep uh, attempts to, uh, for congregations to worship together that had never uh, done that before, uh, some very controversial times but very rewarding times. 
when we moved to Weaverville in 1997, an early conversation of um, some white pastors and some African-American pastors, a very prominent African-American pastor in Asheville told us white preachers, he said, please do not make us a part of your projects, uh, which are we tend to, oh, I, let's have an idea. Well, let's do this, and now let's invite the black churches. And he said, please don't do that. And that planted a seed that uh, from North Asheville, uh, which was is very racially homogeneous, that if we stay, if I stayed there, um, that wouldn't be any movement toward reconciliation. So, long story short, that I became a part of the Baptist Ministers Union uh, about nine years ago, um, and the the regular meeting and worship and friendships with that particular group of pastors. Uh, has been a, a, an enormous blessing and has placed me in uh, friendships again with folks like uh, Jim Abbott and Tyrone Greenley. So talk to us about the beginning of Christians for United Community. Uh, how that got started, what were the issues that uh, brought you together uh, with who, uh, Father Jim? Yeah, well... Um... Once I got here and was uh, uh, asked to be the pastor at St. Matthias, of course, I began by trying to get to know the parishioners there and um, uh, get kind of centered there. Uh, then I joined the uh, Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance, which is um, the mostly African-American uh, ecumenical uh, minister's fellowship in town. Um, and I also am, was, and still am active in my diocese, uh, doing anti-racism training with the Commission to Dismantle Racism. But as I worked uh, and lived in Asheville and listened, uh, began to realize um that there were issues out in the community and that the church was called not just to be looking inward, uh, but to move out. And so through a series of events, which probably is too long and complicated to get into tonight, but um, we had the opportunity to bring Dr. James Forbes, who, who was a professor of preaching at, at uh, Union Seminary in New York and later the pastor of Riverside Church, um, we were able to bring him um, to Asheville to speak. And uh, so I was kind of the the point person from the white community that had this money to put into this venture. And I said, you know, there's a pattern here of white folks deciding what we needed to do and who we needed to bring and then inviting uh, African-Americans to come along with us. I said, that's, I'm getting to understand that's all backwards. So let me go to some of my fellow clergy in the, the IMA, the Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance, and see what they have to say about it. 
Well, the president at the time, Dr. Uh, C.R. Mosley, actually grew up with uh, Dr. Forbes, who is from Raleigh. And so he said, anytime we can bring Dr. Forbes here, I and I and I are totally behind it. So we decided to meet for several weeks ahead of time, planning the service and the whole event so that it would be indeed a grassroots, ecumenical, interracial experience. And Dr. Forbes came and gave a powerful sermon, and we had wonderful music and great spirit. And so at the end of that, everybody said, you know, this has been great coming together like this. Why don't we continue so as we continued, we then decided we needed to get organized. And another um, pastor and I, Dr. Uh, L.C. Ray, uh, from the Missionary Baptist tradition, he and I kind of spearheaded the, the, the formation of, of uh, Christians for United Community. And uh, one of the other uh, white folks who had been part of this whole process helped get us started by tapping into some various um, foundations and all to get some grants to get started. And the grants were to bring people from the Mennonite Central Committee to Asheville to do some anti-racism training for both black and white together and separately. So there were three sessions, one together, black and white, then a session just for black folks, and then a session just for white folks, and then came together. So we had a common language and um, uh, tried to begin working together. And after just a couple of years, this interim executive director um, said, I think I need to step back. I think we need a, an African-American to head up this organization. I have a friend in Tyrone Greenlee. I think he would just be the perfect person. And he was right. <laughs> so we're glad that Tyrone took over there and has been our faithful, long-standing director for now, what, 15 years or mm -hmm. something. Yes. So the purpose of Christians for United Community, besides its title, is to do what? To address um, disparities caused by racism. And we do that in three ways. We have uh, what we call three project teams. And we do, um, there's a fellowship team whose job it is to create and build and foster and strengthen relationships between um, people of different races and, and also different denominations. We had a, have an advocacy team um, who helps us address the issues that affect all of us in terms of race and racism. We've done um, some advocacy around the Racial Justice Act and the Voting Rights Act and several things that have come out of our, our legislation legislators over the last few years. And we also have a dismantling racism team whose job it is to do the kinds of trainings that Jim just mentioned. We have folks 
um, within our organization who actually do trainings for the churches that become a part of us. And we actually encourage churches that become a part of us to do this training to not only so that we'll have a shared language, but also to help them address the issues that it, uh, um, can exist within a congregation around race and racism and all those sorts of things. So yeah, that, that, that's a little bit about how we do what we do. Yes. Okay. Um, so you've been around for 20 years? How long? We, we've been in existence since 2003. 2003, yes. okay. Uh, and what have you found uh, in your approaches uh, that has been helpful, what has worked? Uh, things that you uh, are wanting to advocate continuing? Well, what we, one of the things we found out is it's uh, hard work. <laughs> it's long work. It's not a quick fix. And we've, you know, tried different things. Um, we live in a culture um, that is pretty crisis-oriented, and we find that uh, when there's a crisis, people get all um, fired up and focused. Mm -hmm. And then when the crisis is over, things tend to go back the way they were. So it, it's, it's hard to sustain, but uh, we've done... Uh, one of the things I think that's been important is that we've just stayed... We've, we've continued. We have not stopped. And uh, one of the things that we're doing now that's, you know, very exciting... Um, we helped facilitate a, a contact and a relationship between a predominantly white church, which is uh, St. Mark's Lutheran Church, and a predominantly black church, which is called WNC uh, Baptist Fellowship. And Tyrone helped get that connection started and what they started out doing was they said why don't we would like to ask Christians for United Community to come and do some anti-racism training with us together so that we would have a common language and that we would start to get to know each other um, as as equals so they invited us and so for three Saturdays Tyrone and I went and had a three-session uh, experience with them. And through that, they began to develop relationships with each other. They started inviting each other to exchange pulpits, to have uh, somebody from one church go and speak to the adult class at the other to begin to share meals and to start visiting both formally and informally with people going back and forth. And um, just recently, they have asked me, the Lutheran Church have asked me to come and do some Sunday morning sessions with one of their adult classes. Um because part of this work needs to be done together with 
blacks and whites and when we can, Latinx people and others to, to, to develop those relationships. But we've also found as we've gone along that white folks have their work to do and people of color have their work to do. And so um, we are trying to work with these, these two congregations in both these formats together and separately. And you, you might want to add, Tyrone, to uh, You know, I would add that it's, it has been so heartening to see these two congregations work so hard at, at building relationship and getting to know each other. Because one of the concerns I had was that, you know, sometimes in terms of dismantling racism work, we can do the things that make us feel good or that, that look good but are not really substantive. And what we've learned over the, the, I guess, a year and a half or so that we've been working with this group, both of the churches, is that they're very serious about this, and they're very serious about building relationships with each other. Um, we had a kind of follow-up assessment, where do we go from here, meeting with them last summer. And what we heard from them over and over again was that they want to deepen the relationship. They want to really get to know and build, and build trust and build structure with each other um, as congregations. And that's that um, in these really difficult times that we live in, it's, it has been very heartening for us to watch them go through this process. I want to go back to, you said, white congregations have their work to do and people of color have their work to do. Kind of go into a little more detail about each of those. What is the work that you see that, white congregations need to do? Okay, for one thing, um, Tyrone talked about um, how he had experienced uh, how racism had affected him internalizing the, the oppressive messages that the culture gives out. We found, and our training has helped us see, that white people grow up with a kind of a sense of internalized racial superiority. And so we think, because we're in a dominant culture, we think we know better. We think we know what other people need. We think we uh, are, are wiser. And what we're coming to see is that we need to come to grips with that kind of racial bias, what we we call um, unintended bias that most of the, the white folks that we work with are, you know, good-hearted and very caring, but don't realize the, the depth in which we participate in uh, carrying on the dynamics of racism coming out of a sense of superiority as though we need to help black people and we need to do something that so part of it is coming to grips with our own internal racism becoming aware of how much racism has affected and infected our whole culture so that how that has resulted in the fact that we are we experience his privileges that we never earned and don't necessarily deserve, uh, plus the 
one of the things that I'm t- talking with them about, because I'm an amateur historian and I have immersed myself in the history of Black Asheville, the amount of um, ignorance there is about our Black history is is phenomenal, and it's and we've come to see that it's not fair always to ask Black people to be our teachers, <laughs> and so. Uh, I've studied about black history in Asheville. I'm trying not only to tell them about that from my perspective, but to connect them up with people in the community who are African Americans, who can take them even deeper into their history because they've lived it. Um, But that's the kind of inner work that we need to do to come to grips with how we have been affected by racism and how we have um, internalized a lot of the racial messages of our culture and unwittingly perpetuate the problem. Tyrone, talk about the work that black churches need to do. Well, in in my experience, and actually it's a really profound experience for me, um, one of the learnings, huge learnings I had when I came to Christians for United Community was around um, the ways people of color, African-American people can internalize the oppression that they experience every day, micro and macro aggressions and, and oppressions, and how we can live out of that kind of um, diminished experience almost unconsciously in so many ways. And that was one thing that I, when I first came to Christians for United Community, just um, astounded me that I had all these kind of internal tapes that played inside of my head that told me that I wasn't smart enough and told me that I wasn't hardworking enough and told me that I um, wasn't quite as good as other white folks around me who, who um, in my head had much many more ideas and thoughts and um, initiative than I had. And, and I had to come to understand that all of those were false messages that had been given to me over the years. And so a, lo- a huge part of our work is around dismantling the internalized stuff that we've um, been given over the years, but also to realize that uh, it not only affects the way we see ourselves internally, but it affects the way we treat each other and the way we see each other. And if we have come to understand that that people of color, African-American people are just not smart enough and just not hardworking enough, then we see that in each other and we tend to treat each other in this kind of diminished way that is not at all the way we were created to be with and for each other. And it's a really um, insidious sort of thing. And part of my, um, um, also part of my pain is that just speaking for myself and, and the communities in which I move, I don't see us having these conversations a lot as African-American people. I don't see us being aware of what's going on with us internally in, ter- in terms of race. Um, and 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 not talking about it, um, dismantling it, dismantling it as we come to understand what's happened to us, and I think that that's a huge part of our work. Um, that, in my opinion, we're not we, we could do a better job at. Well, Jim McCoy, um, you just retired a year ago from First Baptist Weaverville, and it's predominantly a white congregation. But once you became involved in friendships with uh, Father Jim and Tyrone, 
Uh, how did you find that changing the way you pastored, and, and what did you do within First Weaverville that uh, uh, helped in your own journey toward racial reconciliation? Well, being a part of uh, Christians for United Community, being a part of the Baptist Ministers Union, helped our church become a, on a cycle of third Sunday night services to where we would be hosting services sometimes as well as attending uh, in um, interracial worship services. Uh, but I, I, I want to pick up on what both Jim and Tyrone have said about the depth of uh, the work of uh, that has come to us through CUC about what's going on with us. Um, for instance, in a in a uh, uh, Baptist Ministers Union monthly meeting one Friday night, this has been about a year and a half ago. Um, I and then there was another, uh, uh, as as uh, some of the Baptist ministers folks said, the, uh, of uh, of lighter hue, a brother of lighter hue, or a sister of lighter hue. So, uh, one person had had a, a bad experience in the mall that week and had been followed around uh, as it, he was shopping uh, in a store and. To a person, not a single exception, every pat these are prominent pastors uh, in the Asheville area. Everybody said, Well, yeah, that is that's are you kidding? That's common. The the lady, the, the Caucasian lady, was uh, saying in all genuine actually she was uh, raised, speaking what was sort of in my mind. Well, she said, Can't you use that as a teachable moment? Just turn around and face the person following you, the proprietor who was following you, and said, what are you doing this for? And so there was a, a sort of a long, weary pause, and one of the pastors said, when it just is such a common experience, you just get tired of looking for teachable moments. Um, and that, so it, just to realize that what is a part of a common experience that in the white, at least in white congregations, we're clueless. But if that would happen to us, we would be, you know, outraged or whatever. We, but there's so many things just a part of the life of whether privileges or whether just uh, expect whatever. That that's the kind of work that um, we just need to say, yeah, that's a part of it, and we're implicated in it. We're caught up in it, um, and uh, that's a part of what reconciliation work is. Well, let's talk about our present context then. Uh, given the work that you have been doing, uh, how has this change of climate uh, affected what you're trying to do, and, and, and how are you attempting to address that? That's a great question. I'm, I'm not sure I have an answer for it. But I, I agree with you that there, there has been a real change of climate in this country. Um, as you said earlier, people um, who otherwise not, might not have been so vocal about their racial preferences have been emboldened, I believe, um, to, to voice their opinions, to voice sometimes even more than their opinions. And so one of the things we've become really aware of at Christians for United Community is that the, the climate is so different now. Um, and, and what I've come to understand and what people have said to me is that really the climate is the same. I think our awareness around the kind of country we live in and the kind of society we live in has become very different. Um, 
and 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 as a result of that, it has felt to me to us like the work is more difficult now. That the work, understanding where the on the ground work is, um, in terms of addressing disparities and addressing the things that um, plague us and confront us as as African American people and white people and brown people in this society, um, have become so much more complex. Uh, but I go back to a couple of things. One, at the crux of Christians for United Community, for me, has always been about building relationships. Because um, I think the place where racism lives is the fact that we don't know each other. We don't understand each other. We don't know what our lives are like day in and day out. And to come to understand and to know each other and to understand each, the struggles on both sides um, of that fence is, is the key, I think, to building relationships and building trust and building understanding and moving forward literally together as a united community. And so I don't think that that work has changed at all. I think the, not only has it not changed, it's even more crucial now than it was three or four years ago. Um, but I think we live in a country and in a climate where there's a lot of fear, where there's a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding, um, one of the things that Christians for United Community does is a book study. We do a couple of book studies um, um, uh, twice a year. And I remember starting the book study a year and a half ago, just after the inauguration, and having this room full of like 30 people of faith starting this book study, looking at each other saying, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what the work is now. I don't know how I forgive people. I don't know how I build relationships with people who are so far away from me. And so I think that um, part of the issue is understanding how we reach across the aisle, so to speak, understanding how we um, embody Christ for everyone, not only people who believe like us, but people who don't believe like us, um, as a way of continuing to build those relationships and, and, and continue to, to come to understand each other. But it just feels so much more complicated now than it was a year and a half ago. And, and I also think, you know, speaking personally, there's a, you know, not only with this, with this new administration, but with, the, um, with increased police presence um, and over-policing that we see in so many communities and, and the, the violence and the deaths that we've seen at the hands of police. Um, there is an element of fear for so many people of color these days. That's also something that we need to address and deal with and get past in order to continue to do the work of reconciliation. So it's just, it's complicated. I have to respect Tyrone because he's, he's experiencing it. And I just need to listen and pay attention to that. My own experience has... Is a, is a little different, and it's probably because I'm looking at it through privileged eyes. But I see that as things have gotten more polarized and uglier in the macro scene, I'm sensing a new awakening from the grassroots of a lot of, pe a lot of white people who just kind of thought that the race issue was taken care of in the 60s and that we were just going, everything was going to be fine and realizing that all is not well and that we are implicated in that and we need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I want to hold those two things together, the, the, the pain of having the country turn the way it ha- is, but looking for what I see is the movement of God's Spirit to call the church to a deeper way of mm-hmm. interacting with this and dealing with this, what people have called America's original sin, mm-hmm. racism, our whole country, both with Native Americans and African Americans, was founded on racism, our economic structure and everything else. And we're seeing now where that can lead unless it's dealt with. So as things have gotten bad, uh, Christians especially, and other people of faith, and I'll have to say people of no faith, have raised, have raised up and said, we, we are involved in this. We need to do something about it. There's a last question, uh, very briefly. Define united. Christians for a united community. What does that mean for each of you? Let's just kind of do a round robin and let each of you say, what does that mean in your mind? A united community. To me, it means to, it doesn't mean uniformity to me. It means mutual respect, treating people with dignity, trying to remove the barriers of inequity that keep all of us from being fully the human beings that God has created us to be. For me, a united community is one that, where there's actual genuine relationship, where we all understand each other's issues and, and struggles and are willing to step up and stand up and be there for each other as we address those issues. Okay. Okay. And for me, it's a, a people, and especially I'm speaking from as a white person, a one who listens. Uh, just, again, given the cultural dynamics and conditioning, we tend to talk. Us white folk tend to talk, and here's what needs to be done. Uh, part of the unity is a, a people who will listen deeply um, and respond. Our conversation needs to continue, uh, and I am deeply grateful uh, that each of you have taken your time uh, to be with me today. Uh, one of the things that I think might be fruitful for us uh, that I would be interested in talking about uh, at some point in the future uh, would be um, multicultural or racial congregations. Uh, how do we move toward that in a way that doesn't diminish uh, heritages uh, and um, helps to achieve what I think Dr. King was desiring, uh, is that we don't have black churches and white churches, but we have Christian churches uh, that include us all. So thank you, uh, and we will uh, continue this conversation. Uh, you have been listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. 
I'm going to continue talking about this issue of racial reconciliation and Dr. King's vision of integrated multicultural Christian churches in the next episode. My guest will be Dr. Michael Hahn, who has been long involved in using music as a means of bringing people together in both worship and activism. Dr. Hahn has a book titled One Bread, One Body, in which he uses the first Christian's experience of Pentecost as the basis for guiding us in developing Dr. King's vision. You will not want to miss what Dr. Hahn has to offer. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you have heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel at B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot net to subscribe and hopefully donate. Your participation will help me to continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings.